Well, it gives me great pleasure to be with Rick Dubor here today. Rick is a, uh, a long-term uh, friend of mine. Uh, I'm sure I can call him a friend. And I've always had a great admiration for people that have a passion for something. And Rick has a passion for two things. One is real estate and the other one is technology. In fact, he was the forerunner of such esoteric things as the virtual paperless office, uh, the tour that you see today when you look at a real estate listing with a virtual tour, he was sort of the founder of all that. So I'm very happy that he takes the time uh, to, um, to share with us some of his view of the real estate world and maybe his personal journey on how he got to where he is today. So, Rick, how are you doing? Good, Ozzy. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. A uh, little bit of history of uh, how I got into the real estate industry. Please. Yeah, I used to work for for Air Canada. I uh, worked in passenger service and uh, I was playing golf one day and the fella said, uh, you know, I think you'd be a good a good realtor and uh, wasn't really happy with what I was doing so I, uh, I got my license and started out uh, in the early 70s and the NDP had yeah. just taken over. <laughs> uh, they introduced the Agricultural Land re uh, Reserve and uh, the market uh, was, was terrible interest rates are at 12% and my first day in the job somebody said to me I don't know why you're getting into the business <laughs> or going out and getting listings because nothing's yeah. selling and so that's kind of where I started and I got into doing for sale by owners and I was very good at it and developed some good habits from there and then from there I got into management uh, ownership I was uh, general manager and owned part of Wollstonecroft at the time yeah fine old company name yeah a lot of history there and then another fellow and myself, um, along with a developer, uh, Robert Bonkies, mm -hmm. decided we were going to open up our own company. That was in 1983, uh, called Benchmark. And yeah. so we got Benchmark going, and then we bought the master franchise for, uh, for British Columbia. And uh, yeah, it worked out pretty good for us. We, uh, when we first started out, I was on to my last $5,000 because I lost everything originally you know, because I was in, involved in the market and I'd done a lot of investing and whatnot. And then, of course, as we know, interest rates went up to 26%. It was wild. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that was a real learning curve. Pretty much lost everything and had to start over. But uh, from that, developed some pretty good, uh, pretty good habits. I think to this day, I... I have not personally guaranteed anything, so, yeah. So. Well, the thing is, sometimes we have to go through that valley, you know, to learn the lesson that we need to, need to learn, and then we'll be going up the other side of the mountain and uh, with much more confidence. You know? But, I mean, the early 80s, that was a crazy world. I thought the end of the world was going to happen. I actually took my kids to Mexico for a year to avoid the impending crash, mm -hmm. and we had a somewhat of a crash. Some of the biggest names in BC and Alberta went down with those. 19% interest rates. How crazy is that? The whole idea about the 90s, so if you had to do it again, what would you... Uh... Um, well, if I had to do it again, knowing what I know today, uh, sort of the big picture, is I don't know if I'd necessarily got involved in sort of the management and the ownership, which I've grown to really, you know, have an appreciation for. Uh, but I think today if I'd have strict, stuck with just the selling and the investing, I don't think I'd have as much gray hair today. Yeah. And I'd probably have more money. <laughs> but on the <laughs> other hand, you have a passion. You know, I've had the privilege of speaking uh, at the Home Life Convention uh, several years in a row. And 
one thing I always notice is your company is, isn't, I mean, when I look at the Fraser Valley and who's all operating out there, your company and your agents that you have, they seem to care about their clients in a different way. I mean, the home life almost means something, right? They're creating a home. It's not so much running out and making a whole bunch of money. You're involved in charity golf tournaments and raising funds, and there seems to be an esprit de corps that you have there that, that's part of being you as a leader, in, in my opinion. Well, I think it's, it starts with um, uh, the philosophy we have as, as an owner of the company that we treat all of our salespeople as, uh, as clients, and everything we do is to create a good experience for them. And I think a large part of that is being involved in the, in the community. You know, we've raised uh, over $600,000 wow. for the Variety Children and Canuck Place. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, being part of that and creating that good experience for our salespeople, they've carried that philosophy on to, uh, to how they treat their clients. And so the higher standards is tied in with the brokerage and obviously with, uh, with the salespeople. But uh, going back to the, uh, to the technology and how we got started on that, uh, I remember in the 70s when I was selling, the radio telephone came out. Yeah. And I was one <laughs> of the ways. first ones to get one. <laughs> and I remember I thought I was really cool because I had it set up in my car. Yeah. And I'd go and have an open house and I had it set on my horn. <laughs> so when somebody called me, the horn would go off and I'd go <laughs> racing out. And of course, all the neighbors wondered, you know, what was going on. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so but that it was everybody could listen in though, right? In those days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> And so that, um, you know, there was always an interest in the technology. And then I, I, uh, I started attending uh, a conference down in San Francisco that was put on by Brad Inman. Okay. And uh, it was all the top technology companies in North America. They'd bring in the top realtors, brokerages, and we'd get together and we'd talk about where the industry's going and the impact that the technology was having on, uh, on the real estate industry. And uh, I remember my second or third trip down there, I was introduced to the virtual tours. All right. And they said that that was going to change how we would go out and buy real estate. We'd sit in the comfort of our home and in our pajamas and yeah. we'd be able to pick and choose. So I bought the uh, software. I came back and I did my own home. And then I got up in front of 300 salespeople and I presented this and I was really excited about it. But... Uh, I think we ended up probably doing uh, 30 tours that year. And I realized that if we were going to be successful, I had to take it to the open market. And we started up C-Virtual 360. Yeah, that was in 2000. Also. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's still going today. It's very strong. We've done thousands of tours for the real estate industry. Um, we do the hospitality. We do the municipalities and a lot of other venues that um, you know it's got a good application for. And the reason that we've been successful with it and been able to carry on with it is my nephew, uh, who graduated from Stanford with his, uh, with his wow. master's. Um, wow. So he, he took it over, and he has systemized everything. Yeah. And so he's been able to keep it going, and, you know, obviously, um, you know, well, a lot of our success... the future is now going to be virtual reality, maybe, uh, virtual reality <laughs> shows, so, you know, so it's, everything keeps on going. You know? yeah. But that means you've always been ahead of the game, right? You're, yeah, and we did, we did a lot of cool things uh, in the early 90s, and you were involved in part of that because we, uh, we actually developed a, uh, templates for our salespeople yeah. for, their, for their websites, yeah. and we did the virtual office for our managers where yeah. you did a lot of the writing, and uh, we had their sales meetings set up for them. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was really a slow take, Ozzy, because yeah. we were pioneering this, and yeah. 
we had a great application, but we just didn't uh, realize that there was more than just bringing the application to the table, that you had to have the follow-up programs. Yeah. And so... Well, that's the thing about being a pioneer. The pioneer often gets killed by the Indians. You know, you want to get when the treaties have been signed and become a farmer or something. But on the other hand, the pioneer has all the joys of the new idea and then being proven right down the road. You know? But it's always can, can be a, a tough, tough haul. <laughs> And then, uh, I guess, uh, be about 12 years ago, um, you know, we were involved, you know, in the technology as, as uh, we've referenced, but we, uh, we're, we were one of the first companies to use electronic signatures, yeah. and we used the biometrical signature. And uh, one of the things that we were challenged with in the business is that salespeople historically would never know where their files are, the trunk of the yeah. car, <laughs> or at home, or in the office. So. Yeah. One of the things we wanted to do was create uh, an online filing cabinet. And uh, that's where we started uh, with a company called Nuance. Mm -hmm. It's a virtual business center. And one of the first things that we created was a, uh, as an electronic deal sheet. And <clears throat> we struggled with it, but once we got the integration in with all of the board data, the member data, and then we integrated it with our back-end accounting. At the time, it was, uh, it was Lone, Lone Wolf. And then from there, we were able to invite the client into the transaction. And for our salespeople, they were able to create a deal sheet. Everything was time-stamped. It flowed through into the right. accounting. Yeah. And for the administrator, they could do five transactions to one. And that really became the, uh, the culture of our office. And so we, uh, we built from the, uh, being the first paperless office in Canada to a lot of the things that we're, uh, that we're doing today. Well, it's amazing what is going on today. I mean, first of all, I bought a lot of real estate with my partners in the United States, and they seem to be very ahead of us still in 2010 and 11, because I, I would get a DocuSign contract, and I was loath to sign it. I, I felt, can it really work? <laughs> and then uh, we sold some 50 um, pre-sales this May, and there's a new software out, and a client comes in and just pushes... Uh, click here, click here, click there, and when he leaves, he has a fully documented document and disclosure statements, and it's mind-boggling how the things have changed from before when we had miles of paper, paperwork, and as you said, trying to find it was the, was the problem. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned, um, uh, I attend this conference down in San Francisco each year that's put on by a fellow called Brad Inman. And it's all, it's, all about, uh, it's all about change, which I've always been supportive of. And I remember Brad getting up on stage, and there's 2,000 realtors there, and he tells a story. He says that uh, his wife and himself had gone through a change of lifestyle, and they actually got rid of their cars, and they bought these bikes. And they were into the fitness and yeah. sort of the 60-year range. And yeah. so they uh, took this holiday over to Kauai, and uh, they were down in the, I forget the area, but they were out for coffee and they saw this other couple and they had these bikes. Yeah. But they weren't cool because they had the motors on the back of them. Yeah. So, uh, Those power bikes. Yeah, yeah, the power bikes. So their goal for the day was to take this trip and they were going to climb this, uh, this hill to get to the top and see this incredible view. So they're out there and Brad's pedaling along and they get to this hill and the hill is just a lot more than what they anticipated. So they're really struggling and then of course along comes this couple <laughs> yeah. with the bikes with the motors and they just yeah. sail by them get to the top 
Brad doesn't get to see the uh, the view, yeah. and so there he is up on stage, and he says, "So what I've learned is to accept change." So he takes the blanket off his bike, and guess yeah. what's sitting there—a bike yeah. with an engine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's always kind of been yeah. my philosophy: is that you have to uh, you have to accept change. Um, my last trip down there was really interesting because he had um, Gary Keller. Yeah, and yeah. Keller Williams. Yeah, yeah. And according to Gary, they're number one now in uh, in North America. I don't. He's know got a were... great book out. You know, the one thing. You know, I think it's one of the best books that uh, that I've ever read on concentrating, particularly in our businesses where we have so many hats that we wear. And he said, "Let's concentrate on the one thing." But what was he talking about at the conference? Well, it was interesting because on my way down there, I bought that book. Yeah. And I can really focus on a lot of the things that uh, yeah. that he uh, that he referenced, and the one in particular, he says that uh, he says you have to find the thing that you can do, and he says if you can do that, he says it's not about what you want to do or could do or should do, it's about what you can do. Right. And if yeah. you can do that, then it'll look after yeah. everything else. So great. Uh, well, he fired himself as a, as president or whatever, and then under the new leadership. Uh, the company really was thriving even better, and then he focused on his writing, you know, and he's very successful there. But it's easier said than done, the one thing, particularly when you have multi-interests like myself, you know, to have, <laughs> or you, right? We like to wear those hats, but it's great advice. But is this, is this is called the Connect Conference? Yeah, Brad started it uh, 25 years ago, and he runs one in, in New York in January and then one in, uh, in San Francisco. And the, and the real takeaway from the conference is like I brought back a, a lot of cool tools that I've introduced to our company. And probably of the 20 tools I've introduced, six of them have really been successful. Mm -hmm. And uh, but going down there and being part of it and trying to be relevant about all the changes that are taking place. Mm -hmm. uh, getting back to, to Gary, so Brad, uh, announces, he's up on stage, he says, I got Gary Keller here today. And he says, uh, we're very excited because we're, we're reasonably good friends and Gary's got something to tell us. So Gary comes up on stage and he's got his flip chart there and he says, uh, I got something to tell everybody. And Brad says, well, Gary, will you come and sit down? And Gary says, no, Brad, I'm not going to sit down. I want to tell the 2,000 people here what's happening to our industry. And he says, it's all about the disruptors that are out there. And again, they have this little back and forth about sitting down, but Gary's not going to sit down, and he proceeds to tell us. And he says, Brad, he says, you have all the disruptors here. you got Zillow here, you got Redfin here, you got Compass here. And he says, this is what's happening. He says, the disruptors have their portals, and they're going out and they're getting all the data. Right. And then what they do is they incorporate artificial intelligence, and that then helps them create a good experience for all the people that go onto their portal. So effectively what they're doing is they're taking over the control of the transaction. So they bring all the parties to the transaction, they bring them to their portal, and they're controlling the transaction. And, of course, Brad challenges them, and he says, well, that's, isn't that what you're doing? And he says, well, yes, I'm doing it, but I'm doing it for our salespeople. So the next morning, I get up and I go to a presentation by Compass. 
Oh, yeah. And Compass is a company <coughs> that has accumulated 5,000 salespeople over a two-year period. So I'm there first thing in the morning. There's this other fellow and myself, and they put on this presentation. And they explain how they go into an area, and they'll pay up to $100,000 to hire a salesperson. So they'll go out and they'll say, Rick, you know, you're one of the top salespeople in the area. Would you like to join Compass? And if you do, we're going to give you $100,000. And I say, well, that's good. So what's the catch? He says, no catch. He says, and these are the services that we're going to provide. We're going to provide you with your branding. We're going to have a transaction manager for you. We're going to put together all your listing presentations and on and on and on. I go, wow, that's pretty cool. So you're going to give me 100 grand. You're going to provide all the state-of-the-art services that nobody else is. And I said, so what's my commission split? And he says, what split are you on now? And I said, well, and he says, well, that's what you're on. And I said, so how do you make this work? Yeah, like the brokerage money, business yeah. is tough enough, yeah. <laughs> and you're going to give all this away. Yeah. And I said, do you guys have a portal? And he says, oh, yeah, of course we've got a portal. And I said, so have you got artificial intelligence? He says, oh, yeah. And he says, I know where you're going. He says, I was at the Gary Keller presentation <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. And he says, we're not disintermediating the real estate industry. And I said, well, where are you going to make your money? Yeah. So it's obvious that's the direction that they're going, that they're looking, at least in my opinion. And of course, now we have Zillow yeah. that's come up to Canada. Canada yeah. Yeah. Zucasa tried to make it work. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they had pretty good backing. Was it Shaw or Rogers that were, were behind them? And it didn't work out. And I think a large part of it was because of we have Realtor.ca. Yes. And that's the difference between Canada and the United States, yeah. is we have Realtor.ca, and that's the go-to site. That's one of the benefits we have. But the advantage Zillow has is that down in the U.S., they're a household name. Right. And people will quote Zillow and say, well, Zillow said my house is worth this much. Right. So that's, that's pretty powerful. So I think they're taking all of the resources they have, the knowledge they have, and they're going to be a real challenge for the real estate up, the real estate industry up in Canada. As if we don't have enough challenges. I mean, let's face it, uh, we have, a, first of all, an industry that's changing. We have a buyer that's looking for real estate on the internet and is much more educated. And, and the millennials that want to have all the answers now and they want to looking for more competence. And then, of course, in BC, we added this, uh, these new rules to the game, which, uh, which, which <clears throat> boggled the mind. Uh, I don't know whether you want to get into this, but maybe highlight it for us. What's involved in being a realtor today? Well, you know, Ozzy, it's, I, I think in a lot of ways it, 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 it's, it's good, um, you know, because it, it's going to improve the, uh, the professionalism of our industry. But the way they've gone about it, and I think that it was a knee-jerk reaction when, you know, Christy Clark got up and said, no more double-enders. Right. And, you know, because the market had taken off and they talked about this shadow flipping, and there were a very small, very small percentage of people that were actually involved in that. And today, you know, we're now going through this, this metamorphosis as far as the, uh, the compliance is concerned. And I've been very active. I've been on the uh, broker council for the last 15 years. And I've had the opportunity to meet with the superintendent of insurance on three different occasions, you know, working closely with the Real Estate Council. I've represented our board 
on uh, on our uh, committee to uh, to have discussions with the council and the superintendent's office. And uh, so I've seen it firsthand how this thing has evolved. And the challenge for us is, is that they've come up with all these new rules, but I don't really think they understand yeah, the, the, impact, impact. the impact of the rules. Yeah. And they're asking salespeople to make all these disclosures, which are good, but when you're dealing with people that you don't end up doing business with, and you still gotta ask them to sign a disclosure, which is optional, and then you've gotta keep all these files. Well, it's difficult enough running a brokerage business right now and providing the compliance and then having to go out and they want us to educate all of our salespeople and they want us to, they're gonna do an audit on the training that we provide. Then they're gonna come in and they're gonna do an audit on the office on every file. They're gonna look for all of these disclosures. And for example, if you have a salesperson who's very active and he's not turning in or that person's not turning in a lot of disclosures with people they haven't done business with, then of course you're under the uh, the microscope. The challenge the brokerage business has is that it's very difficult to find good brokers today that have you know the compliance side of it, the ability to deal with salespeople, the educational side of it. And now what they're asking us to do is to provide this compliance side, and they want us to run our offices as if we were doing the audit. Yeah. And so we went to the superintendent, we said, so how is it that you want us to do this? First off, we don't have the authority with our people because they're independent contractors. Right. Now you're going to give us more authority, you're going to give us more responsibility. And you've said to us that you're going to give us more authority. What does that look like? And then if we do get the authority, how does that impact the independent contractor? Are they yeah. still independent contractors? Where did they become employees? It looks to me like, I mean, we have it in many different areas. When I was on the radio this morning talking about, you know, the impact some of the new tax taxes have from the vacant home tax to the speculation tax. And, and when, when I look at the individual realtor, it used to be, uh, you're my client for 20 years and you want to sell your house, I listed with you, but, but, but I'm no longer working with you on when you want to buy something because that involves a different agent. That, to me, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and we've had some real difficult situations. And I'm not going to go into a lot no. of detail, um, but there was one situation that was very, very frustrating because effectively what it would require us to do is cancel one of the sales <laughs> because the rules were getting in the way. And we would go to the council and have you know ongoing dialogue written and we would have discussions with them and all we would get back is they would cite the rule and then they would say and go and get legal advice yeah so we would both yeah you're yeah. supposed to get the advice to interpret their rules exactly yeah so we we would go and ask for legal advice and on this one situation i went to our lawyer and i said you know can you give us some input on this what what should we do and he said rick this is a conundrum he said i'm not qualified you know to give you the advice so long, I sent a letter to the superintendent's yeah. office, and then we uh, went to the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board. We looked for input there, and then finally, I found a lawyer that was prepared to give us an opinion, and we were able to move forward. Well, that was over a two-week pr process, yeah. but in the interim, we had people that we were dealing with, and they were saying to us, "Well, we want to move ahead. We want to buy this. We want to oh, sell that, right. and yet we can't because of because of." And then when we go and we try and get some guidance on it, I mean, they made the rules. Yeah, and they really don't, uh, they're, 
and it's unfortunate because the council is is there to to uh, to obviously manage the rules, but because the rules didn't make a lot of sense, it was difficult for them to give us advice. Well, and that's the thing. It's almost like you look. We now have this proportional vote coming up, and then half of the people maybe have voted already, and then they change it. You know, it's like it's almost. We're not anti-government, of course. We need government, but gee, wish you'd think that they sit down and, and uh, discuss these things. I know if, if I was a realtor in the business right now, I don't know whether I would survive being able to what I need to disclose, who I can deal with, who I can. Getting people, total stranger, to sign non-disclosure agreement. I mean, it's just it's it's onerous. Now, some of the offices used to have buyer agents in. In their offices and some and at the same time listing agents and then they have teams and how does that work now? Well the uh, I mean, we, we, we would have a designated agent so the real estate the brokerage and of course what they've done is they've eliminated uh, limited dual agency right okay so you can't represent both parties you can have um, uh, what's it called unrepresented party and so you make all the disclosures you get both parties to agree to it but the challenge with that is that if there is a problem with the deal and it ends up in say in front of council um, there there would be assumed agency and of course the concern we have is that the superintendent has made it very clear that um, they're out to enforce the rules and you know they've got all these two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fines and right. on and on, and so is it going to be? Uh, is it going to be equitable for the salesperson to get involved in a situation like that? Our philosophy is, we don't support on on um, on sorry, <laughs> um, dual agency. Or? No, 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 no. Uh, unrepresented agency. Okay. We don't support that, but if they're going to do it, they should come and talk to us first. Yeah. Okay, and so um, to date, since the rules came in on June 15th, we have not experienced that in, in our brokerage. I do know that other brokerages are doing that, but uh, there's a real challenge with doing that. So you have, that's the, in, like in our mind, that's the end of the uh, unlimited, or uh, sorry, for <laughs> backing up here, um, limited dual agency. Yeah. Now, the teams, and the teams have been very successful. Yeah. Now, a large part of the conference I attend down in California, they have um, two full days, and it's all about the teams and how they yeah. manage their teams. And it's, uh, it's pretty dynamic what these teams are doing. But the benefit for, for us is that the teams bring new people in, mm -hmm. and they educate them. Right. And they help them yeah. to understand the transaction. Yeah. And a large part of what the council's saying to us or the superintendent's office, is that we want to improve the education. Yeah. So the better the education, yeah. the more protection for the public, for the client. And so the teams, like when you think about it, they might have five or six people that they're working with. Well, you've got the team leader who's knowledgeable, understands the transaction, plus the teams have more resources than the individual does, so they're better to manage it, better to create a better experience for the clients. And so for the new salespeople come in, they get involved in the transaction, they have a better understanding, yeah. and they're better equipped. But the problem is, because they've eliminated um, limited dual agency, the teams are now starting to break up. 
Yeah, because you know the moment one of them is a bias agent and the the others are all bias agents. Yeah, you know, it's just so. What we've suggested is in our conversation is that maybe if they were to provide designated agency, so that like in a brokerage, we can have a designated agent, so you mm. can have one listing, one selling it. Right. So for the teams, they could have a special designation where the teams would be allowed to represent both parties effectively right. by a designated agency. But that's not being approved. No, no, no and they're not going to change the rules. But I mean, I tell you clear. honestly, who would, I mean, who would want to be a broker with all those, a broker manager in particular, or assistant manager with all the penalties that are out there now, and, and if for wrongdoing, that's not even specified what it all is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, is, it is challenging. I mentioned earlier about the, uh, the $250,000 fines. So, you know, from a brokerage perspective, we have hired additional people. So through our electronic system, through Nuance, we get the contract as soon as it's written, signed by both parties. It's then turned into the office. I have a manager that goes through the contract, and we get it back to the salesperson with a critique within 24 hours. And, uh, you know, we dot and we cross and, uh, you know, we pro process the transaction accordingly. But to find qualified people yeah. that, you know, understand the compliance side of it, that are capable of dealing with salespeople, because yeah. salespeople, you know, sure. you know, they're independent contractors right. and they're sometimes involved in crisis management yeah. and, you know, they're having their ups and downs. So you've got to deal with that side of it. You know, plus you've got to provide the leadership. And the brokerage business, you know, it's like any other industry, you know, it's, um, it's challenging because we had the introduction of the 100% concept, you know, sure. back in the early yeah, 80s, sure. um, way back when it was on a 50-50 split, you know, the brokerages could make pretty good money. But today, uh, for a broker, for somebody to want to be a manager, they have to look at both sides. And uh, if they've got any skill level, they're going to, obviously, for the selling side of it, because they can make more money there with less responsibility. So to find someone that has all the qualifications today... Yeah, you can do it all. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a dying breed, you know, people yeah, are in their 50s it, and I mean, 60s. Maybe of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as a president of a large real estate company in the 80s myself, uh, we paid about $2 million a year just to train agents, right? Because we could afford it because of the different splits. And then, of course, the 100 percenters came on, the training went into the boards, or, or it was up to the individual brokerage. Today, it seems to be trying to come back to some sort of a brand new world. Mind you, I think the predictions have been for years and years and years that the agent would be out of business. And in the end, we still have always needed the real estate salesperson to interpret the statistics. They might be available. But what does it mean, you know? Uh, will, the, will the salesperson still be needed in the future? I think so too. But it's not technology that's going to put the salesperson out of business, but it's the salesperson with technology that'll put out the salesperson without it, right? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, and you've always, you know, preached that it's not the technology, it's the salesperson with the technology. And I always relate to the internet that we're going through a revolution. And I kind of cite that to, you know, the printing press, which was introduced 500 years yeah. ago. That was a revolution, but it took yeah. 500 years. Yeah. Whereas now the, the industry, the the, uh, the internet, you know, we're experiencing, you know, that on a daily basis. So, you know, we're we're always trying to be relevant and keep up with the latest technology. But um, there are there a are few uh, 
um, different business plans out there like EXP. I don't know if you've heard of yeah, them. Yeah. And they've got, uh, they've accumulated, I think it's 20,000 salespeople. And it's all built around the stock market. And they're a virtual company yeah. where everything is done um, online. And uh, they've created this virtual office where you can go in, you can participate in sales meetings. And I've taken a look at it. I've had a look at their, yeah. their presentation. Um, the thing that's scary about it is the stock market side of it, because that's what sure. it's driven by. And is there any real value to the stock? You know. Well, the, the thing is also becomes more and more complicated, right? And uh, maybe that's part of the new world. But one thing is for sure, both of us have always looked at real estate. Um, every year we've had the three questions or statements. One is there's too many realtors in the business. And number two, young people can no longer afford to buy. You know, I heard that 30 years ago. And then finally, I wish I bought five years ago, right? And I remember in the past, you and I had conversations, should we still be buying real estate? I remember you were looking to buy condos in Surrey, which uh, I encouraged you to do. Yeah, and that was, uh, I said to my, my wife, I said, you know, I'm, I, was, I had lunch with Ozzy, and, uh, and I, I, we were talking about whether this was a good time to buy, because it was a leaky condo, yeah. <laughs> and there was just hundreds of listings out there. There was not a lot of activity. And I said, you know, I, after talking to Ozzy, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy 19 doors. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was sort of like, not real, sort of like it is today, yeah. where you could go out and you could cherry pick. Right. And it was, so I was able to go out and I bought 19 doors. And of course, the rest is history. You know, exactly. the market took off. But it, and, it comes to that you have to make a decision. And uh, if you make the decision with, uh, I mean, I said this morning on the radio, we always talk about it. The good market is when we have multiple offers and agents drive as fast as they can with their full price offer. Not a good market for the buyer. Today's buyer has a good market. Yes, agents have time, there's selection, as long as he believes in the future of BC. And we've come through unbelievable challenges. Russian crisis, oil crisis, currency crisis, even government now doing these rules to us. In the end, though, we have always survived by being in the industry. Tell me, what are your thoughts about yourself? What about your health and, and well-being ideas that you have now at your, your ripe old age? Well, that's not it. Ripe age? <laughs> Good age? <laughs> but um, both of us okay. can look back. But it, just on your last comment about the market, um, I believe that it's a great time to buy. In fact, I went yeah. out and I bought two condos. There you go. And uh, yeah, and I believe that for the long term, they're going to be good investments. At least my kids will think they are. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I've always had um, a, a three. My philosophy in life: there's three things that I focus on, Ozzy. And uh, one is my health, and two is always maintaining good relationships. I've only burned one bridge in my life. And I regret that to, to today. And the other thing is, 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 is good habits. And uh, I really believe that good habits are an extension of your intelligence. So my whole life is built around habits. From the time I get up, I don't have to think about where I'm going. You know, I'm going to yoga, um, going to the office or whatever I might be doing. And sort of my health is um, built around what I eat. And I'm very organized with what I eat. Uh, I fast every day. I make sure that I give my body a rest. And then I always eat the right foods. And then I exercise. I exercise twice a day. I have one day off a week. And that has helped me from, you know, when we were back in the early 80s and I lost everything and had to start over again. 
and all the challenges that you have in business, I've always been able to maintain a very strong um, presence with, with how, I, how I handle things because of my health and my well-being. When I walk into a room, I always feel that I'm fitter than anyone there, even at my age today. Right. And that has really, uh, really served me well. And if you can focus on your health and well-being, I think that uh, you can have a pretty good journey through life. 100%. I mean, you know, we, my old mentor, Leland Val Wonderwall, he always says that humans don't have habits, habits have the human. And so the key is you might as well have good habits because you will have bad habits if you don't have set up the good habits. I mean, we're looking at these people shooting up uh, drugs on, on, on the street and you think, how can they do that? Well, they've established the habit of doing that and it seems perfectly natural to them. You know, we have to look at our world and seeing what is good, what, is it, what kind of a person do I want to be, Dr. Maxwell Moll said in Psycho-Cybernetics, and that dates me, that book, but he says it takes 21 days to change a habit that you have now. And uh, everybody, we were sitting down and creating a new world for ourselves and create those new habits and do the new thing for 21 days, we would definitely become a newer person. The thing is, we always talk right now about the law of attraction. Everybody sees the secret and the law of attraction. What we forget is that the originator of that particular statement uh, had a first law, and that was the law of deliberate creation. You've got to deliberately create what it is that you want to attract. So if I want to have good health, I've got to sit down and say, okay, what do I eat, what do I do, what do I exercise, what's my plan, and then make that into a habit. And as you work and think about it, then you'll attract more of those ideas. You'll study more, right? It flows to you as you drive along. And in our real estate action group, I kept teaching that. I said, look, you know, you've got to have in your mind a specific goal. Well, can I not have five condos in two years? Yeah, but it's meaningless. When are you going to have the first one? And what's the habit that you have established in order to select that? This Wednesday night, your real estate night, or Saturday, your open house, whatever it is, you have to do something on a regular basis, creating the habit, and then you will be successful. So are you going to retire? Uh, uh, two years ago, uh, actually it's closer to three now, when I bought out uh, my partners and I took over, took over the offices, um, we had a general assembly and if there was an elephant in the room, it was, why am I doing this? <laughs> and uh, I have obviously a lot of friends that have retired and um, I, I have no desire to retire. Uh, I feel that if I was to do that, I would be one step closer to, you know. <laughs> and so I said, I said at the meeting that, uh, you know, I, I love getting up in the morning. I said I have the passion to go to the office. The highlight of my wife's day is when I leave for the office. <laughs> so when am I going to retire? I'll retire when, uh, I guess, when I get lost driving home. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's good advice. Look, I want to thank you for coming in. It's, you have had an incredible journey and still are on an incredible journey. Like you, I'm not retiring. Um, and, but at the same time, we both have managed to live life large. So that's what I would want to tell to all of our listeners. Don't just live your life. Live it large. Thanks. Thanks.